am a, I'm a grace guy. Say, what's that mean? Well, I am someone who believes in God's grace. And I believe that God's grace is so much bigger and so much greater and so much wider and comprehensive than any of us could ever imagine. In fact, I read somewhere in the scriptures where it says uh, that I actually can't outrun his grace, that if I go up to the heavens, he finds me there. And if I make my bed in hell, he finds me there too. That God's grace is so big that I can't even really wrap my mind around it. I find it funny in interacting with people because there are plenty of people who have grace for themselves, like big grace of God for themselves, but any bitty grace for you or anybody they don't like or anybody who struggles or deals with something that they don't really have grace for. We got big grace for ourselves and little bitty grace for other people. But I'm a grace guy and I believe God's grace is big far bigger than any of us could ever understand, far bigger than any of us could ever comprehend. And so I choose to lead, to live, to think, to operate, to try to extend a whole lot of grace because I believe God has a whole lot of grace. Amen? Yeah. But let me tell you, I'm, I'm also a, a holiness guy too. I believe that how we live on this side of eternity matters. I, I, I believe that what we do and what we don't do, what we allow and what we don't allow, that it actually matters. Why? Because I read the Bible. I listen to the words of Jesus who called people to a higher standard. I see the writing that we even are interacting with in the New Testament here in the book of 1 Peter. And this calling is to a high calling. It is a calling to holiness. It's a calling like, like that the way that we live and the way that we steward and the way that we operate and the way that we treat people, it all matters on this side of eternity. It's not all grace. Now that's an interesting tension that it creates. Because what you'll find in a lot of people is that some people are all grace, and they act like it doesn't really matter what you do. And the book of Romans would tell us otherwise. It would say, don't take God's grace cheaply or in vain. And then you find people who are all holiness people, and they're like, you better act right, you better do right, and you better, you're going to displease God, and God's going to throw you out, he's going to spew you out of his mouth, and he's going to revelation, you better look out. But I find when you read the New Testament, I find when you look at the writing that is 1 Peter, you find this tension that it leaves us being a bit of a misfit. Big grace, big holiness. A call to lean in and trust in and, and, and be grateful for the grace of God. But also a calling to live holy and to recognize that what we do on this side of eternity matters. And as we begin chapter 2 of the book of 1 Peter, we see this calling clearly. And so today what I want to do is something a little bit different for those of you who are regulars with us and join us. I want to walk through the 10 verses of 1 Peter chapter 2 that we're going to study on today. Because I don't want you to miss anything within them. And what I want to do is, is, is read a little section and help extrapolate the big idea so that way you, you can allow it to sink home in your heart. 
And as we walk through this, my prayer has been that the Holy Spirit would, would, would move in your heart in such a way that you would be someone who would answer the call of God to be a misfit in your neighborhood, a misfit in this generation, someone who does not operate like everybody else operates, someone who believes in the big grace of God, but also the call of holiness from God. So let's get started. First Peter chapter two, starting in verse one, we'll read to verse three. It says this. So get rid of all evil behavior. That's that. That's that holiness piece. <laughs> Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. If I could surmise in a call to action what Peter is saying here in these first few verses, it would be this. I'd love for you to write it down if you're taking notes today or if you got the notes from online. You highlight this yourself. But don't act like everybody acts. The call from 1 Peter chapter 2, these first few verses, is very, very clear. Is don't act like everybody acts. I don't know if you had anybody in your life growing up. Maybe it was your mother, maybe it was your father, maybe it was a grandmother, grandfather, maybe it was just some nosy aunt that always be offering her opinions on what you be, what you be doing and how you be doing things. But maybe they set you down as a child. Maybe even somebody still sits you down in life this way and they ask you this bit of a rhetorical question that feels a little funny, but they had meaning behind it. They would say something to you if they saw you doing something that displeased them. They said, well, if everybody jumped off a bridge, would you? Yeah, everybody, because they see you acting like your friends. <laughs> or they see you picking up the language that somebody at the playground picked up, somebody on the team picked up, somebody at the workplace said. And they say, hang on, no, 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 we don't do that around here. If everybody jumped off a bridge, would you? And the response we always give is, no, no, I ain't going to do that. I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. Yeah. But you and I know that we have all done stuff because of the influence of others. Some of the dumbest decisions I have ever made in my life, I had no intention of ever making said decision, but I was peer pressured into doing something that I did not want to do, and I regretted it for a night, or I regretted it for a week, or I regretted it maybe even for a long, long time. Don't act like everybody acts. Peter is calling us here to acknowledge the way that everybody else acts and to determine to not be like that at all, to act differently, to be a misfit. The very first word of 1 Peter chapter 2 is a Greek word that as it's translated here in what we read, it was so get rid of. But the most accurate explanation of what that Greek word means would be this, to strip away to take off, literally like clothing, to literally pull off a layer of clothing and, and discard it, to not wear that anymore. So when Peter is writing this, he is literally telling him, listen, I know you are walking around with this, this jacket on, but you need to take this jacket off, this jacket that is hypocrisy. 
You're walking around wearing this article of clothing that is jealousy. You're walking around wearing this, 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 this garment that is not built for you. I know everybody else act like this, but not you. You don't act like this. Don't act like everybody else acts. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're so pious. You're thinking, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't act like this. You know, I mean, I don't, I'm not, I'm not someone like, like this. I don't do those things. Yes, you do. You're deceitful. That's why Peter calls it out. Now, you may be a milder version of a deceiver than somebody on some Netflix show that you real, real into who's just super deceptive. Or somebody you work with who you know they shadier than a tree. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like you know they always be on the trickerations. And you're like, I ain't like that. I know. That don't mean that you're not deceitful. That don't mean that you walk around like trying to make sure you get your way, make sure things happen the way you want them to happen by sort of, by sort of deceiving folks. You're deceitful. We just learned to be okay with our own deception. But Peter says, don't be that way. He says, don't be hypocritical. And I know some of you are like, I am not a hypocrite. She is a hypocrite. <laughs> oh, he, you should hear the way he talks when he gets around the boys. He is a hypocrite. I know. I know you know people more hypocritical than you. But that does not take away the hypocrisy on you. Peter says, we're misfits. And, and the hypocrisy that you wear... You need to take it off. Some of you, you hear jealousy and you're like, there's not a jealous bone in my body. I know. I know you don't post about your jealousy like other people do. I know you're not as loud and as vocal with your jealousy as other people are. But God knows your thoughts, my Bible tells me. God knows what's happening on the inside of you. He knows those, those unverbalized desires. He knows how you look at what they got and how they're all this, 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 this desire and envy on the inside of you to have what they have at whatever the cost. You are jealous. You're unkind in how you talk. The thing is, you just won't say it to their face. Because when you think of the unkind person, you think of a person who will snap on you and give you a piece of their mind to their face. And you don't do that. You're way too Southern for that. You'll talk about them behind their back. To everybody you know and everybody that they know, except for them. What Peter helps us to realize is that this may be the common pattern of all people. This may be how everybody else acts, but the misfits don't act like this. In fact, misfits, he goes so far as to say it this way, and I don't want you to miss it. That's why I gave you a little bit of what that Greek word means, because misfits don't just pray it stops, they strip it off. <laughs> There's a difference. Misfits don't just pray that their jealousy stops. That sounds so spiritual, doesn't it? God, help me with my jealousies. God, I don't want to be a hypocrite. It sounds spiritual. That was not what Peter told us to do. That was not his advice. That was not his imploring. He says you take that jealousy off of you. 
Those unkind words that come out of your mouth, do not mess with me and waste time praying that you stop. No, take that off of you. There's a difference. We don't act like everybody else acts. He says, you get that out of your life. How do you do that? That's so hard. You don't know the jealousy that sits within me. Oh, God does. You don't know the, the anxious. Yeah, God does. Peter says in what we read, how you get this taken off of you is by getting nourishment, as he calls it, from God. You get the truth of his word on the inside of you. And it provides a different satisfaction than the satisfaction of running around being jealous of other people, than the satisfaction you get of being hypocritical, than the satisfaction you have of, of, of telling someone one thing but knowing you're doing another, of swindling people, of being tricky with people and thinking you're getting away with it. There's a much greater satisfaction when you get God's word on the inside of you and you allow him to strengthen you, him to provide for you, him to nourish you, him to be your all in all. It changes you and you don't act like everybody else acts. You see, you are to be salt. You are to be light. Jesus said you're a city on a hill, but most of us are trying to blend into our surroundings. Peter says, I've called you, God is calling you to be misfits in this world. So don't act like everybody acts. He gives us a call to not be like everybody else be. But he gives us a second call too. We see that in 1 Peter chapter 2 starting in verse 4. Listen to what he says. He says, you are coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor. And anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. See, there's a calling to not act like everybody acts. But there's a calling here that I do not want you to miss before we really dive into the next few verses. There's a calling to focus on the result, not the rejection. Focus on the result not the rejection. You will never end up wrong trusting in God. But it might feel wrong along the way. You, you are never going to end up in the wrong place trusting God in any area of your life. Trusting God with your future, trusting him with your past, trusting him with your thoughts, trusting him with your finances, trusting him with your skill, your talent, your time. You will never end up in the wrong place trusting God. But it might not always feel comfortable as you go there. The scriptures say of Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Everything we know about crucifixion would tell us that that was a tormenting and painful experience for Jesus. 
It wasn't easy for Jesus. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he's going to go and give his life for you and for me, prays to his Father in heaven and says, if there's any other way this can happen, let it happen, because this is about to be painful for me. But not what I want, what you want. For the joy set before him, he endured the rejection that would come on him. Peter is calling us as misfits to focus on the result, focus on what God will do, focus on what will happen, not the rejection that happens along the way. You see, part of becoming the misfit God wants you to be is becoming comfortable with people not understanding you. You have to get comfortable with people not understanding why you would act how you act. Not understanding why you would do what you would do. Not understanding why you would prioritize, why you wouldn't snap back, why you wouldn't treat them the way everybody else treats them. Part of becoming a misfit is, is becoming comfortable with not having everybody get you. Because people sometimes will see the outside things and make determinations about what's going on on the inside of you that just aren't true. See, as... As people of faith, there are things that God calls us to do. But sometimes when other people see us do those things, they make assumptions about how our life is that are just untrue. As somebody that spends time in front of people, time with people, a lot of people think that I, I, I have like some easy life. And hear me, I have a great life, but it is anything but easy. I am thankful for uh, the, the calling of God. I'm thankful for the work that he has called us to do. I'm thankful for the, the things that he's done through us, the things that he's doing and the things that he will do. I'm thankful for it. But if you think it's easy, baby, come get close. But sometimes people will see the same thing on your life. And they'll think, oh, it must be easy for them. And it must be nice to be them. And they've got it. Look at, look at her worship. Oh, it's so easy for her to worship. She just lifts her hands and shout and sing. And, oh, things must be so good for her. What you don't understand is that as people of faith, sometimes we worship while we worry. Sometimes we're overwhelmed with what's going on, but yet we still give God praise. <laughs> Because we don't worship based on how we feel. We worship based on how we, what we know is true. And that changes the game. But sometimes people will see you worship and make a determination about your life that is not true. What's true is that you're focused on the result, not the rejection that you're experiencing along the way. Sometimes those of us who serve... We don't just serve because we got free time. Or we don't just serve because we got extra energy. Sometimes people serve and they serve tired. Sometimes people serve at a grocery drive-thru and they didn't really feel like going out in that heat on a Saturday morning, but they serve anyway. You know why? Because they're focused on the result, not the rejection they feel along the way. Sometimes people will serve in a B-Kids room, helping kids learn about Jesus on their level. Sometimes people will serve in the church. Sometimes people will serve in Yellow House. Sometimes people will serve with the project. Sometimes people will serve their neighbor. And it's not about how they feel. It's not because they have leftovers. They're serving because they're focused on the result. Some people have deceived themselves into thinking the only people who give are people who have a lot of extra money. That ain't true. Some of us give, and we give even though money is tight. We prioritize God, we prioritize his work, we prioritize his house, and we give even though money is tight. We don't just give because we got extras, like we some Scrooge McDuck swimming in a pool of coins. Like, no, 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 it ain't like that. 
But we know that God wants our first and our best, so we give, even when money is tight, because we focus on the result, not the rejection we feel along the way. Because somebody will tell you, oh, you shouldn't worry about doing that now. You'll do that later. No, you won't. Sometimes we reach out and we help others even when we need help ourselves. See, just because you're helping somebody, just because somebody helps you, doesn't mean that their life is peachy, doesn't mean that they got it all together. Sometimes they're just simply doing what God has said do. Because as people of faith, our faith is not in our situation, our faith is in our Savior. Our faith is not in what we see, in what we can count, in what we can control. Our faith is in the one who gave himself for us. And so our focus turns not to the rejection people may heap on us, but the result that is set before us. See, that is why it's so important that you have the right people around you. That is why it is so important, we say it all the time, that you build community before you need community. Because there are going to be people who will try to come along in your life and not understand the calling on your life. Not understand that you are called to be a misfit. And they will try to talk you out of doing what God has called you to do. They'll talk you out of serving. They'll talk you out of worshiping. They'll talk you out of giving. They'll talk you out of praying. They'll talk you out of raising your kids in the house of God. They will try to talk you out of it because they don't understand what you're called to. Don't let any folk without faith like you talk the faith out of you. Oh, Jesus made a statement that people love to put on like, like dating and marriage relationships. He says, don't be unequally yoked. And it's very, very good advice on dating and marriage and engagement and stuff. Because a lot of people on its most basic sense take that to mean if you are a person of faith, you are a believer in Jesus, you should not be hooked up with somebody who is not a believer in Jesus. Because you are not equal. And when you get yoked together, you will pull in different directions. And that is true and is good advice. But can I tell you, it's more than that, too? Sometimes you don't need to be yoked up with people relationally that are pulling in different directions than you. There are some people that want to be in my life that I have to keep at a distance. You know why? Because we ain't equally yoked. Because I want to talk about where we're going. I want to talk about what God has called us to do. I want to... Charge hell, even if it is with a water pistol. I'd much rather be charging hell than sitting back critiquing the people doing it. But sometimes I get people in my life who want to give me every reason not to. Who want to tell me why we can't and why we shouldn't and what happened the last time. And I knew somebody 10 years ago that tried to do that and it didn't work. And baby, miss me with your lack of faith. God called me to do something differently. So I'm going to focus on the result he has for me, not on the rejection I may experience along the way. you got to be careful who you get close to you. I want people around me who will pray with me, who will fight with me, and you need to. Because some of you, the people in your life won't understand why you're making it such a priority to be in God's house. They won't understand why you're making it such a priority to worship. They won't understand why you're making it such a priority to be in his word, to to give him your first and your best. They won't understand it, and they'll try to talk you out of what God has called you to. Focus on the result, not the rejection. Because not everybody around you is going to understand it. But you got work to do. Somebody in that chat just typed, we got work to do. Oh, do we have work to do? Verse 7, it says this. It says, yes, you who trust him. This is Peter talking still. You recognize the honor God has given him. Talking about Jesus. But for those who reject him, 
The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word. And so they meet the fate that was planned for them. If you're taking notes today, may I give you the calling Peter gives us here in, a, in the simplest way I know how? He says uh, to all his misfits, you and me included, stop tripping and start building. Stop tripping and start building. We ain't going to be those as misfits who tripping over everything. No, no, no. We're going we gonna to build. See, he makes a distinction here that I, I absolutely need you to get. Because he helps us to understand that people who reject Jesus are set to stumble over him. The stone that the builders rejected has become now the cornerstone. The one who they said wasn't the Messiah is the Messiah. And now he is the foundational and most important thing in all that God is building. Even though those who reject him are going to trip over him forever. And people still do to this day, don't they? People trip over the existence of Jesus. He didn't really live. He wasn't really God. They trip over his teaching. They trip over his transforming power in our lives today. They don't believe that God can actually save, God can actually heal, that God can actually restore, that God can fill with purpose. And they trip over this. Sometimes you talk about what God is doing in your life to your friends that have rejected him, and they don't understand. They trip over what you are saying. They don't understand his goodness. They don't understand his promises. But what you need to understand is what others may trip over, we build on. I'm going to say it again. What other people trip over, we build on. The stone that the builders rejected has become our cornerstone. See, for you and I as people of faith, it is time to stop tripping over the fact that other people who don't know God don't understand what we believe. They don't understand where we put our faith. They don't understand who we trust in. They don't understand, but we're going to build our lives on his truth. See, I don't trust my truth. I build my life on his truth. I build my life on what he said, on what he wants, and that is the only thing that matters. Not what I think. Not what I feel, not what would be comfortable for me. No, 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 no. I build my life on his truth. Now, some of you probably find yourself in a bit of a tension. You find yourself in a place where you say you're following God. You say you love Jesus, but the problem is you keep tripping over what it is he has said to do. Some of you, you trip over the calling he has for you because he called you to be holy. And he called you to break that jealousy. And he called you to take off that deceitfulness. And it's difficult for you. Hear me. If you're always tripping, it's because you're not obeying. You are tripping over what you're unwilling to obey. Let me say it another way, maybe a little plainer for some of you. Your relationship with God will thrive to the level of your obedience. Your relationship with God will always thrive 
up to the level of your obedience. The Old Testament scriptures remind us that obedience is better than sacrifice. Some of you, the reason you can't go further in God, you won't go further in God, that God won't trust you with any more than he's already trusted you with, is because you keep tripping over that line of obedience. You keep tripping over that space, that place where the Holy Spirit has made it so clear to you through his word, through his will, through his ways, through people trying, and you keep tripping over it. And you wonder why advancement doesn't come your way. You wonder why God can't have you with it. It's because you keep tripping because you won't obey. It's time to stop tripping. Somebody in that chat just type, stop tripping. Stop tripping. Because some of you, it leaves you in a spot where you think God's mad at you. You think God's mad at you, that he's disappointed in you because you're like, I just don't ever feel close to God. You don't feel close to God, some of you, because there is clear obedience that you just will not do. And you will always trip over that. I don't care how far back you go and try to run through. Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. And you will keep tripping over that rock until you obey. See, a lot of folk want God to change to fit their opinions rather than their opinions changing to fit God's. God has some clear opinions on stuff. Actually, a whole lot of stuff. And when you disagree with God's opinion on stuff, that stuff will become the thing that you continually trip over. So if you want to live as a misfit, stop tripping. And start building your life on the things of God, on the principles of God, on what God has called you to, being grateful for his grace, worshiping him because of his grace. But recognizing there's a calling too to holiness. There's a calling too to do what he said as he said it. There's a way that seems right unto the man, but in the end it leads to judgment. But the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. I can walk in his way. Some of you need today to become that misfit who says, I'm going to build my life on his word. I don't care what other people say. I do not care what other people think. I trust what he says first. I trust what he says most. And I'm going to stop tripping and I'm going to start building. I'm going to stop tripping and I'm going to start building. Because see, when you start to obey God in those places you think you could never obey God, you start to trust what he has said in those issues, those areas, those practices of your life that you felt were off limits to God. You will find a faith unlocked on the inside of you that you didn't believe was possible for you. See, that's where the scripture ends with us today. Verse 9 and 10 of 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, you are not like that. You're not like those who keep, who keep tripping over the things. No, no, no. He says, for you, listen to you, you're a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. See, the calling of a misfit isn't just a call to holiness. It's a call to the grace that you don't deserve. 
It's a call not just to do the right things, but yes, to do the right things. Because as you do the things that God has said, the way God has said it, what you will find unlocked is the opportunity to be everything God has called you to be and understand who you are in him. See, that's the calling of the misfit that Peter leaves us with in these last couple of verses. He calls us to start living like you know who you are. Start living like you know who you are. Some of you live with such a small view of who God sees you as. You live with such a menial view of what God has called you to do in your life. But you, friend, are a royal priesthood. You, friend, are a chosen generation. You, friend, are set aside, set apart for the purposes of God to do his work. But you got to start believing this is who you are called to be. Start living like you know who you are. My, my wife, if the door is ever closed to our room and the television is on, I know what's going on. I can, I can put my ear on the door. We live in an old, old house. Them doors be real thin. So I ain't even got to do that. But like, I could put my ear on the door and hear what the television is saying. And almost 100 times out of 100, what I would hear when I put my ear to this door is a very strong British accent. I'm talking about some tea and crumpets up in here. You know what I'm saying? Because my wife loves all those shows, all those documentaries, all those movies, all those whatevers that have to do with like British royalty. You know what I'm talking about? Like The Crown, I think, is one. And I don't really know what the other ones are, but like Tea and Crumpets 1 and 2, like I don't know. Like, like she loves them. She's the type that wakes up in the middle of the night to see the coronation of the king that is not her king. She's the type that wakes up in the middle of the night to see the, the wedding that, of the royals that ain't, ain't, like, I don't even know who them people's names is. But, like, she's going to wake up and see it, you know? Like, she loves all that. And it's great for her. But I don't want nothing to do with that. Like, you want to talk about put me to sleep, baby. It is instantaneous. But in my proxy to all of this royalty on television. I, I've picked up a few things along the way. I have learned that these, um, these royals, they don't live like everyone else lives. They don't. They, 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 they may have some challenges, but their challenges are very different. They have a different perspective with which they see the world. They don't live like everyone else lives in to be quite honest, they don't really care. And the reason they don't care is because they know what they have access to. To say that another way, they know whose they are. They may be 37th in line to the throne, but if they get that tag of royalty, they know that the queen, they know that the king knows their name. They know that they have a purpose in the royal family. And so they're not really worried about what anybody else thinks about who they are and what they do and how they go about doing what they do. Because they know who they are. And so they live as they are because they know who they are. Many believers do not trust who God says that they are. And so they are clueless to what it is they have access to. Some of you do not understand how God sees you. 
that when he saved you, when you put your faith in him, when you receive salvation for you, you do not understand how God sees you now. That you are a chosen people. You are royal priests. He sees you as something different than you've probably ever seen yourself. Can I tell you, friend, you are special. You have a purpose. You are a part of what God is doing in the earth. When Peter calls them royal priests, he is letting them know there is occupation that God has called you to. And it is special. You have the opportunity to bring people to him. You have the opportunity to bring offering to him. You have the opportunity to leverage everything he's entrusted to you for the honor of his great name. You are a chosen people, royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are more than your past. You are stronger than your addiction. You will make it through this trial because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. But you have to start living like you know who you are. Reality is many of us don't. We never step into the fullness of being the misfit God created us to be. We never embrace his calling, his identity on our lives. So we live with the labels that the world puts on us. We live more influenced and more swayed by what they have to say than what God has to say. Friend, it is time for you to accept the calling of God on your life and start living like you know who you are. It is time to start trusting what God has said, even though it's not what you see, because you know whose you are. You were bought with a price. You're a chosen people. God has purpose for you. And it's time for you to see that in yourself and not worry about the accommodations, to not worry about the criticisms of people around you, but to know that when God sees you, he's called you to something greater. And so as you follow him in holiness, you experience greater measures of his grace. And his grace, I am grateful for. And his holiness, he has called me to. And as I walk in this, I receive more. And I understand how he sees me. And it's not how everybody else sees me. Because he sees purpose he put in me before I was formed in my mother's womb. Every day of my life was written in his book before one of them even came to me. And I just want to challenge and call some of us today to answer the call that God has for you and on your life. To not act like everybody else acts. Don't live your life being a hypocrite. Do not live your life succumbing to the standard of this world. But focus on the result, not the rejection. Because people will reject you along the way. And that's okay, let them reject you. You set your face like flint to the call of God on your life. And you walk that thing out. And you stop tripping over over everything you don't understand and you build your life on what is true and what is God's. And you say, I will stand on this, that he is my foundation. He is my cornerstone. Then, then you'll find yourself start living like you know who you are. And you won't allow condemnation to lead the way. You won't allow guilt and shame to run to the front. You will be who God 
has called you to be a misfit. Let me pray for you. Father, I love you. Thank you for today. Father, I pray your word would go far and wide. It would resonate within us today. Father, I pray that you would help us to live as the misfits you have called and created us to be. Not overwhelmed by the situations around us, but confident in your calling on our life. God, help us to not give in and succumb to the things of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, to allow your word to speak its truth on us and to not be dissuaded or distracted by anything that may try to detract from it. Father, make us the misfits you've called us to be. As we lean into your grace, follow you in the holiness you have called us to walk in. We love you and we thank you. Pray all this Jesus in your name and everybody said.